Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for tuning in with us here. Four o'clock hour, if you're a nine to fiver, you still got 53 minutes, 31 seconds from right now to get to that five o'clock line. We're so thankful though that you tuned into us here to get you to that point. And, and certainly if you're running shift work or other things, we're happy that you made this a part of your day. Uh, as you know, I hear on Dollars and Cents, we're talking on any number of subjects. We're often looking at things, macro level, global level, if you will, looking at those things which are happening around us to understand what kind of impact points they may have for us here. But we also seek to break it down to an individual level. We're looking at those kinds of things that may be a part of your experience, perhaps with your family, colleagues, other folks as well, when we're looking at all things economic and financial. But you know, as a previous listener to Dollars and Cents, that nothing that we're talking about here is intended as a specific recommendation for you. Meaning that even though we're talking on specific strategies and we're going to be talking specific companies, I promise you, again here today, we're going to be looking at some things company-wise and even insofar as uh, strategic thought is concerned, maybe even looking at some things in a positive light, maybe some things in a not so positive light. Again, that nothing that we're talking about here is intended as a specific recommendation for you. We strongly, strongly recommend that you reach out to your tax advisor, to your financial advisor, or if you'd like to reach out to us at North Main Financial Group, love to hear from you, love to chat with you about your particular financial situation. Online, you can find us at NorthMainFinancial.com. That's North like the direction, Main like the street, Financial.com. You get the contact page on there. Leave us an email address or a phone number. Let us know the most preferred and desirable ways for us to contact you again at NorthMainFinancial.com. You're also welcome to call the studio. You got something that's on your mind you'd like us to chat about here. Perhaps we're, uh, we're, we're, talking about it, or if there's something that maybe is is on your radar screen, we can't speak into your specific situation. We're not going to give recommendations over the air for the obvious reasons. But if you'd like for us to address a specific subject, love to hear from you. Call into the studio here at 844-STUDIO-4. That's 844-788-3464. One more time, 844-788-3464 here at the studio here at WSIC. Love to hear from you. Love to hear about what's on your mind and the kinds of things, again, that we might be able to bring to the fore. And, uh, and talk about that may be helpful to you. All right, we're going to get into uh, to hot headlines here. And you know this has become really our opening salvo here on Dollars and Cents, primarily because we want to bring the things that are that dotting your headlines, you may be discussing, you may be thinking about. And certainly, when you're looking at the most popular news programs that are out there, these are the kinds of things that we're seeing. And we want to make sure that they're in front of you there. And certainly, if they can be helpful to you in terms of what we're looking at, we want to be able to do that as well. First big one that's out there. We've seen this now for several months. You've heard us talk about this here on Dollars and Cents and, and looking at uh, those things that are happening around us economically and trying to get an idea about how 2024 is going to look. 2023, in a lot of ways, very positive, certainly if you're looking at it from a, a stock performance standpoint as measured by our most popular indices. They have uh, uh, the big three, the S&P 500 index, Dow Jones Industrial Average, NASDAQ Composite, all pretty strong across the board. Now, you also heard me say here on Dollars and Cents that yes, those indices were strong, but really what uh, that was was a function of a relatively small handful of companies that did very, very well overshadowing what was much more modest, if even mediocre and sometimes negative performance of the vast majority of the market. Very interesting. Uh, a lot like 2022, was, excuse me, 2021 was in a lot of ways. 2022 was pretty miserable across the board, but 2021 was very positive from a stock index standpoint. But again, only a handful of companies, generally speaking, that did well relative to the overall markets. So very interesting to see that in 2023. So we're looking at 2024, looking at those kind of data points, 
closely that uh, have some concern for us, uh, especially because coming out of a positive year, not that we want to look a gift horse in the proverbial mouth here, but we want to be mindful of the fact that if we have a very positive year in the markets, it is very rare that that's going to be followed by a very positive year. doesn't mean we're going to be negative. doesn't mean it's going to crash out or anything like that. But it does mean that we want to be mindful of the fact that if we're running above the average for a certain amount of time, that for a certain amount of time, then also we need to run below the average in order to make the average. You're following me here. I know you are when we're watching this kind of stuff. Let's take a look at it. Commercial real estate, uh, big on the radar screen, uh, big as far as the things that we're watching as well. Well, the big data point that uh, that we, we see sitting out there uh, for commercial real estate, so we're talking Class A office space mostly uh, with what I'm talking about next. Over the course of the next four years, there is approximately, and this is a Wall Street Journal report, so you can take a look at the Wall Street Journal as well to reference it, Wall Street Journal report that's out there, and I've seen it from several other sources as well, that approximately two and a quarter billion, two and a quarter billion dollars worth of Class A office space here in the U.S. is up or is matures, the notes mature, the mortgages mature here over the next four years. In 2023 alone, we had about a half a billion dollars, so over $500 million worth of Class A office space where they had the notes mature. Now, without getting too granular on that, recognize that when we say that the notes mature, that doesn't mean necessarily that the buildings had to be sold or that the notes were paid off or anything like that. Actually, way over 90%, significantly more than nine out of 10 instances, it is a refinancing scenario, meaning that they go from the old note to a new note based upon current interest rates. The reason why that's important, you may understand where I'm going here, the reason why that's important is for the overwhelming majority of those notes, you're moving from a space of low interest rates to higher interest rates, meaning higher costs of capital to maintain those notes. That's significant because you couple that with the data point that we had here last week on, on dollars and cents. Uh, when you look at that, we have approximately right now, we're in the neighborhood of approximately 20% uh, or one out of five uh, office spaces right now that is uh, that is vacant. And it's the highest number that we've had here in the last three decades. Now, is is it geometrically higher than what it was a year ago? No, it's, it's just a percent more than what it was a year ago. But it is the highest point that we've had here in the last three decades. So we couple that with the fact that we have a significant portion of office real estate where the folks are going to have to refinance, meaning the owners of those, whether it be a real estate investment trust, whether it be uh, an individual owner, ownership groups, whether it be uh, investment companies that own those real estates, several different entities, several different kinds of entities which can own those kinds of things. If they have to refinance, that's going to be a very big deal, meaning their cost of capital is going to go up, which means also that they're going to need to increase their rents in order to be able to cover that cost of capital. I mean, it seems fairly intuitive, right? Fairly linear mathematics there to uh, to take a look at that thing. But when you couple that, again, with the data point of last week, that says about 20% of our office space right now is vacant and that there's an indication that there may be more sitting out there, meaning that as leases come due, that they may not be renewed by the tenants because of either a work from home kind of scenario or some kind of hybrid work scenario. It's important to keep that on your radar screen. Does that mean that, the, you know, there, there's, you know, Offices are going to be a terrible investment. No, we're not saying that at all. But it is important to keep that on your radar screen because that's significantly different 
from where we have been here over the last several years. So you definitely want to keep that on your radar screen. Also, another data point, you know me and data points. I like to line them up. I like to stuff as many as we can into, into the timeline there to understand where things are, that, uh, that we also are seeing delinquencies pop up. When I say delinquencies, I'm talking about uh, folks who actually own those mortgages, the buying groups, the investment trusts, whether they are um, individual entities who may own those uh, sorts of things. Delinquencies are popping up as well, uh, moved up from 4% to 8% year over year. And again, not, not a reason to be concerned, but definitely the kinds of things when you line up the other uh, data points with regards to, again, delink oh, excuse me, with regards to vacancies and, and other items, we're definitely watching commercial real estate. That's a big deal. It's a very big deal. It's a very large expense point for so many corporations. Well, folks, we're, uh, we're going to take a break here to hear from our sponsors. And uh, before we go, I want to make sure that you hang with us here into the second quarter here on Dollars and Cents. Appreciate so much you guys hanging with us here on WSIC at the four o'clock hour. Going to look forward to talk with you about what's happening in the markets. Stay tuned here on WSIC. Dollars and Cents with your host, certified financial planner, Joshua Doby, continues straight ahead on 105.9 100.7 WSIC. It's Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on 105.9 100.7 WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you for hanging with us into the second quarter of today's football reference. We're still in football season. I'm going to take it out to the bloody end. I don't care if our Panthers are in the, uh, in the playoffs or not uh, because we, we still have a couple several weeks here. Of, uh, of football now now producer bill uh your ravens are still in it that they are i mean and and they look strong i mean i think by any legitimate non-biased uh uh look at things i mean they got to be in there for the for uh, going to the super bowl i mean they, they, they're certainly looking very strong right it 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 does help to have your endorsement what makes me a little nervous and a lot of pressure on those ravens is i know one team who beat the texans this year and they were the panthers uh <laughs> So the Ravens got to get it done. So, so, so the Ravens got to be on their game. They got to uh, okay. be on their game. Because that was, I mean, because the Panthers are. Ipso facto, uh, we right. would be. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> See, but that, that's good. You, you got to gotta keep your head low. You never want to get too overconfident, right? Uh, that's with, it. With, uh, when, when you're looking, at especially the playoffs. But um, but all right. But I, I guess, I mean, they, they got to be one of the uh, the top uh, there for making it to the Super Bowl. So we're going to watch them. Make sure that, uh, that, that you're watching it as well. I mean, we're. We're getting into, uh, uh, you know, getting into the playoff end of things, and obviously our Panthers aren't in it. Steelers got knocked out last week as well. So, all right, so we're we're, we're going to pick up on the Ravens here for uh, for as long as they take us. But along those lines, uh, some news out, and you're going to see I'm a tie in football and food because you know we like to talk about both of those things uh, here on Dollars and Cents. I, I promise you, it's financial. It, uh, it definitely is because the the company I'm going to talk about next is publicly traded, and of course I'm going to tell you that this is not a recommendation to buy, sell or hold Dave and Buster's, right? So Dave and Buster's, one of those um, restaurants that you also have entertainment possibilities. I mean, skee-ball and video games and other other kinds of things to uh, to enjoy if, uh, if you haven't been to one or are not familiar with what it is. But they, like so many other entertainment entities, have a challenge, and, and I know this from you know working the bar for uh, for paying my way through college, that uh, that the Monday to Thursday run uh, relative to running a bar or running a restaurant is sometimes pretty challenging. 
right? So not as many folks sometimes coming into the bar or coming into the restaurant. So you're, you're thinking about ways, you're offering up specials to be able to get folks in the door. And uh, we're seeing some, uh, some restaurants and entertainment entities that, uh, that are having challenges uh, getting uh, more folks in the door. And, and not to say that, that necessarily they're suffering, but they're going back to some old, uh, some old tricks or they're, they're doing some things to be able to drive folks in the door. I'm mentioning David Buster's, which, by the way, has one of the coolest stock tickers that's out there. If you take a look at them online, again, not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold, but their stock ticker is Play, P-L-A-Y. Very cool. Uh, in, in my end of the world. I mean, I know it's a little bit crazy, but I do like those kinds of things. But Dave and Buster's is reintroducing. So they had this, they, they let it go. They're bringing it back in on Mondays and Tuesdays. They're bringing back in all you can eat fried chicken wings. Now there are a certain number of things that I truly love in this life. Uh, one of them is my wife. The other is my two daughters. And the next one I believe in line is fried chicken wings. And I'm, I mean, that is, I'm serious as a heart attack. So I, I absolutely love fried chicken wings. And I was so happy to hear that even though I am a long ways away from being able to have an impact on an all-you-can-eat fried chicken wing night. Now, producer Bill, you probably you're probably very good at that because you are significantly younger than I am, so you probably have much more capability. I can definitely step into step into this <laughs> this arena. You know what? And I, I would just like to do it to say that I did it again because right. because <laughs> uh, I mean, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I mean, that would have been a reason for me to literally to put that on my calendar. Like it would have been, right. it would have been, you know, go to class. This would have been college, go, go to class, do your homework, fried chicken night. Uh, and I, I think uh, I just heard station owner, Justin, just, just <laughs> run out of the door. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it, it's out there Monday and Tuesdays at, uh, at Dave and Buster. So you can go there. You can eat as many chicken wings as you can possibly consume. And you can play some skee ball on the side. And for uh, for you know fifty seventy five or a hundred thousand uh, tickets, uh, you can get a stuffed rabbit or something similar <laughs> like that, right? I mean, isn't that? I mean, some things never change. I, I, I think <laughs> so. Good stuff. So it's kind of interesting though, just just to see the kinds of things that I mean, the restaurant and hospitality business, and those of you who are involved with it, you know this brutal business. I I, I think it, it's just very very challenging, even on its best days. Like I said, I wor- I worked bar, uh, literally my entire time in college as a way to, uh, to help pay tuition. And, uh, and I mean, yeah, Friday and Saturday nights, great. I mean, it was wonderful, but boy, you had to, you had to hit it well on Friday and Saturday nights because those Monday to Thursday runs were a little bit, uh, a little bit tough. So, uh, so interesting to see these entities that are trying to bring in more folks, trying to drive more business during those off days. I mean, I, I gotta believe it's going to work. I mean, I don't know. Although, you know, and I've heard this from a number of, uh, of restaurant folks, uh, chicken fried or chicken wings, raw chicken wings, very expensive now. I mean, it's not, I mean, we kind of joke about it. I mean, you know, obviously I'm showing my age here, but when, when I was growing up, I mean, having 10 cent chicken wings, uh, or, you know, 20 cent chicken wings, that, that was, that was a norm that was out there. You could find those kinds of restaurants that were doing that bill. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything like that anymore. I mean, it's significantly more expensive. No, I, I certainly have not seen that lately. No. And I remember when I was living in Atlanta, there was a, uh, chicken wing shortage and I thought, see, oh man, I mean. I'm willing to that go. That was a pandemic on its own. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to go without a lot of things, but right. uh, but I will. I I may not make it through a uh, right. sustained uh, chicken wing shortage. But uh, but you're exactly right. More expensive now as well. Very interesting. All right, Dave and Bust. We could talk fried chicken wings all night here, but we're not going to do that. Let's move on. Other items on the hot headline end of things here. Th- this is pretty big, and and I say pretty big. Yes, in terms of the size, uh, when you're looking at uh, about a. Five, six billion dollar uh, billion with a B uh, 
uh, kind of uh, merger possibility, which has been shut down, but also with regards to the impact that it has on travel. And, uh, and I'm not saying good or bad, right or wrong. I'm just saying that there is an impact. JetBlue and Spirit. So JetBlue and Spirit, the airline companies, uh, you may have flown one or both of those at some point along the way, or you may be familiar with them in terms of uh, understanding that they are uh, among the airline carriers that are out there. They had announced a merger here. I want to say it's mm, almost almost a year ago that they had announced it. And uh, and it's been blocked formally by, by a federal court judge, uh, meaning it's been blocked. They are not allowed to move forward at this point with the merger. Now, uh, there had been some indication that that was going to be the case, meaning that this is not a complete surprise. Uh, and the, the reasoning behind it was, and this came from the Department of Justice about four or five, uh, four or five years, four or five months ago uh, as well, indicating that the, their perception, their look at it, said that this would be stifling to competition, meaning that it would continue to reduce the number of carriers, the number of airline carriers out there, and that uh, this would stifle competition, create more opportunities for monopolistic pricing. And uh, and this is not for me to comment that, that that it would or it wouldn't really to make you aware of it, because this was out there. There's another, there another one that's still sitting out there, Alaska Air, about three months ago maybe at this point, three, four months ago, it was before the end of the year uh, that uh, that they had announced that Alaska Air was going to be buying or made a bid attempt for Hawaiian Airlines. So uh, somewhat smaller, uh, both of them, both of those entities. I want to say the, the buy price was right around a billion and a half for, uh, for Hawaiian Air, but that had been out there as well. Now that one's still pending, meaning that one still has a possibility of going through. But, uh, but this larger one with JetBlue and Spirit now, at least for right now, seems to be a little bit cooler. It's kind of interesting uh, when I say cooler, I don't mean cool in terms of like the cool stuff I'm talking about, like actually not going to happen. But, uh, but when we look at that also, if you recall, whenever JetBlue and Spirit were uh, beginning to think about this possibility, Frontier was in the mix as well. As, uh, as, as a merger possibility there. They were outbid. And now it's, it's interesting now that this looks like it may be put on the proverbial ice deck that uh, I wonder if Frontier is going to be back in the mix of things. So what has been true in the airline industry for a number of years, and I find it interesting that the DOJ is, is stepping in now just as a sidebar and saying that this is going to occur pricing when I look at the large, much larger mergers which have occurred over the, uh, the last number of years, whether you're looking at uh, US Air and America West and uh, North Northwest and uh, an American, uh, Northwest and United, excuse me, uh, and uh, and a number of others. So I mean, basically, we have three legacy carriers right now. We have American, we have United, and Delta, and everybody else is working with uh, relative small, relatively small portions of the market. So I find it interesting because we really have. Uh, consolidated the market in significant ways to this point. Now we're concerned about a couple of smaller carriers. Kind of interesting when you look at it on on, on a relative basis. But that's uh, that, that's pretty notable news that's sitting out there for uh, for the week. So we're definitely keeping that on our radar screen. Next big item here. In big item, you know, we talk about food a lot. We talk about football a lot because those are very important things. So that's why we talk about them with some frequency here on Dollars and Cents. But I, I, I came across a, um, a news article and uh, and some description on the cruise industry. Now, now, Bill, I think we've talked about this, um, whether you're a cruise guy or, or not, meaning uh, one who enjoys taking vacations on a cruise ship. Uh, and I mean, is that... High on your radar screen, not not as high on your radar screen at this point. I haven't done it. Yeah. So I, I am neutral to it right now. Could I see myself with no responsibilities, you know, straw or uh, one of those drinks with a... Uh, Umbrella the in umbrellas it. In, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah that, I mean, that's yeah. my kind of life. Yeah. I, I mean, why, why not? Especially right. if you're in the middle of the Caribbean or, or, or some other warm water 
uh, mm. destination. I mean, what's what's not to like? That uh, and fried but, chicken wings you paint I mean, a pretty picture. I yeah. mean, I, I I might be in Nirvana <laughs> at uh, at that point. But <laughs> that being said, so uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up, in, in, in addition to the fact that we love fried chicken wings, is the fact that um, the Royal Caribbean has come out with uh, a new ship. Uh, called Icon of the Seas. You probably have seen, even I've seen it on uh, on some television commercials that have been running during sport events that uh, that they've come out with. The, the largest one out there, 7,000 people. 7,000 people on a ship. I mean, that's not counting the staff. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, 7,000... I, that's It's hard for me to believe. Largest ship now that's uh, that's out there. I believe it's Maiden Voyage's... Coming up the next month, I want to say it's it's relatively quick that uh, that it's coming up. So anyhow, I'm saying all of that to say that there was a there was a uh, side article written about this as well with regards to um, the fact that there is a, an increased desire among some folks to ride older ships or or to book on older ships because the prices are better. A very interesting kind of uh, side note. I hadn't really thought about that. Yes, there is huge demand for these new ships. It's the new flashy, sparkly thing that uh, that folks desire. But also there is a relatively high amount of demand for older ships. I shouldn't say that. There is increasing demand for older ships because the prices are better, meaning that the cruises that they offer on a relative basis are less expensive than these new flashy ships. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, uh, and I, th- I thought, what an opportunity as well. So if you're out there, if you're a cruise person and you don't mind uh, being being on an older ship, supposedly, uh, as as I was reading this report, they're not as crowded. The service uh, is even better because there are not as many people on the ship. Kind of interesting. Take a look at it if you're a cruise person. Appreciate you hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents, presented by WSIC. Stay with us. Back soon. We'll have more of Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby following these brief messages on 105.9 WSIC making your money make sense dollars and cents with cfb joshua doby on 1059 100.7 wsic hello and welcome back to dollars and cents presented by north main financial i'm your host joshua doby thank you so much for hanging with us in the second half of today's show appreciate you you're on the home stretch at this point if you're a nine to fiver uh, relative to your workday, 26 minutes and 21 seconds until you hit the uh, the finish line here stay with us we'll get to the sprint uh here uh, before too long as we get into the later part of the show but i appreciate you spending the time with us here on dollars and cents presented by north main financial all right this is the segment we do right after uh, uh, the halfway point in the show where we talk about what to know. Those kinds of things that we feel uh, are important for you to know, and they're generalized concepts and maybe things that you know already or maybe things that are already on your radar screen, but that we hear with some frequency or we're dealing with them with some frequency with our clients. So we call it what to know or those kinds of things that you may want to keep in mind if this particular item is relevant to you. Now, we, we are very intentional about looking at several different kinds of things. So we may be looking at things that may be more relevant to younger families, we may be looking at things that are relevant to individuals, maybe uh, relevant to folks going through divorce or have an inheritance. I mean, all kinds of things we're looking at. And we do that very intentionally. Today is going to be for folks who are in the college experience. And when I say the college experience, I mean, it may be you who's going through the college experience, or it may be that you are the parent of one who is going through the college experience. And we're going to be touching on today and what to know uh, about the FAVSA form. Now, FAVSA is an acronym, so it's not actually called the FAVSA form, but it's F-A-F-S-A. Uh, the, the federal application for, excuse me, the free application for federal student aid, free application for federal student aid, very common, very widely used form when folks are getting ready to go to college. 
to declare what assets they have, what, uh, what, what income streams that they have, as there is a determination made by a particular college or a university for the amount of financial assistance that they will or will not be uh, awarded or afforded. So uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because it is so relevant to folks who are in the college experience. But then secondly, as we're thinking about the free application for federal student aid and completing it and why it's important and relevant for you to know about it is because there have been a number of changes which have occurred to that FAVSA form here for this year. And that has included, unfortunately, in that process. And I'm chuckling not because it's funny, uh, but because it's it's pretty amazing that the, this process couldn't be ironed up before uh, before it's actually needed. Uh, because of the changes that have been made that, that were supposed to make it more efficient, irony here coming next, uh, that it actually has delayed a significant portion of the process, meaning the form wasn't even available until the first of this month, when it usually is available and ready to go uh, during the fall season. So it wasn't even available until after the new year. And now, because of how the application process goes, the submission uh, to um, uh, the Department of Education and then back to the college or university where you would like that to go, we're probably going to be into March before that actually that process actually is finished. And I say that to say that unfortunately for a lot of folks, especially if you are an early decision person or one who has requested to be a part of the early decision process for your particular college or university, you may have a word back from your college or university before you have an understanding about what your student aid package may be. Now, some colleges and universities have worked around that and basically drafted their own FAVSA form to be able to do that in advance, but not everyone. I've only heard about that in a couple of instances where specific uh, colleges and universities have kind of done their own uh, spreadsheet, if you will, to uh, to be able to determine that and then to make their, their student aid proposal in addition to uh, acceptance letters that are going out as well. But I say that to say that if you're experiencing that kind of frustration, you're not alone. Uh, we, we are talking with folks frequently who are frustrated by that process of delay in terms of determining what the actual student aid package is, uh, you know, so, and that has a huge impact on the kinds of decisions that, uh, that you make. I was talking with a client earlier this week, uh, as, uh, as he was looking at for his daughter, uh, looking at uh, a number of different universities all up and down the Atlantic coast. I mean, everything from the university of South Florida to William and Mary and, uh, uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia to, uh, Duquesne university in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and, uh, and looking at, uh, at all of those. And, struggling to understand how they were going to uh, make a good choice quickly enough because they didn't really have an indication at this point about what the student uh, student loan, student aid package would be uh, at, uh, at this point. So I just wanted to share that with you because, again, uh, so relevant to so many of you who are in the college experience. If you have gone through it, you know what I'm describing. If it's not the first time going through it, you know what I'm describing. But what goes on a FAVSA or what is it or why is it important? Well, on the FAVSA form, like I said at the front end of, uh, of this segment of what to know, the FAVSA form is, is where you indicate the income streams and assets for the student who is applying for uh, for that aid, and then also for that student's parents, meaning that uh, there is also a calculation that is done. It's a different calculation, but it's a calculation that is done relative to this to the student's parents' assets as well. And that's important. That's important for you to know because uh, there are some assets which are included. And there are other assets which are not included in that calculation, meaning that assets that are owned by the student, very much included, actually up to and including 100% of the assets uh, that the student owns. But for the parents, depending upon what that asset uh, is, it could be anywhere from 5 to 35% of that asset is included in the calculation. 
And then with regards to retirement accounts, those are not included. Uh, life insurance also not included or life insurance cash, cash values not included in that calculation. So it's very important for you to be aware of that, especially if you are looking at it strategically, meaning where to place certain assets or where to move certain assets so that you can uh, qualify for more or for as much uh, student aid as, as you uh, may be uh, eligible to receive. Very, very important to, uh, to understand that and to keep that in mind because sometimes, whether it's grandparents or parents, they want to put assets in, into the child's name, and that may or may not be the right thing to do. Everybody's situation is unique. I'm not making recommendations about what to do or what not to do. Merrily, uh, merrily relaying to you here about how that calculation goes together so that you're aware because it may be the kind of thing that would be helpful to re-register certain assets, or it may be helpful to be able to establish certain kinds of accounts. So that, I mean, one of the things that we do uh, with some regularity at North Main Financial is we will establish college savings accounts in the names of grandparents. And the reason why we do that is because grandparents' assets are not included on a FAVSA form, but, uh, but you can make the beneficiary the student. So that's one of the, the strategies that we utilize for some folks for whom that makes sense. Uh, again, it may or may not make sense in your particular situation, but it's the kind of thing to keep in mind because it is the FAVSA form and the completion of the FAVSA form and the, the relay of uh, either the award of student aid or being told that there is no student aid uh, because you don't qualify for student aid. And, you know, that process is part and parcel to most college student experiences, meaning it's not true for everybody, but for most folks, that is part of their college student experience. So we're dealing with it all the time. I and mean, we're dealing with it literally from the time that with clients when their children are born, literally, and uh, and saving for college, if that's their desire, if that's part of their plan, if that's something that they want to do up to and including the time of postgraduate work and beyond. So it's, it's very much a part of the planning process and a very important part of the planning process because of how big the numbers are. I mean, I don't have to tell you right now, if, if you're looking at, especially if you're looking at private school tuition. Now, public school tuition, especially for in-state folks, those numbers tend to be significantly lower in terms of room board tuition kinds of numbers. But if you're looking at private school experience in, uh, in many instances, it's very common for us anymore to see private school room board tuition numbers to be north of 50, meaning greater than $50,000 a year. And uh, in some instances, we see sixty dollars and $70,000 a year. So we're talking some very large numbers. So if you're planning for that, if you're trying to save for that, you need to save a tremendous amount of money to be able to do that. And then I don't have to tell you, if you have more than one child or you're saving for more than one child, you just do 2X or 3X or 4X on top of that. So the numbers can get exponential even very quickly uh, in terms of, of what's necessary for that. Now, there are a lot of different ways to come at that. There are a lot of different ways to address the college expense experience, but, uh, but it's important to be aware, you probably are, that, uh, that those numbers can be very, very large. So very important to keep in mind. Uh, it's very important that if you do desire to save for your, uh, your child's college expenses in whatever way, shape, or form, if you want to cover all of them, part of them, some of them, uh, that you do so as early as possible. And that's just a function of time, meaning that the longer that you have, the greater amount of time that you have for those assets to accumulate. That's very, very important, very important from a planning standpoint to keep in mind. If you haven't gone that route and then you desire a little bit later on to, uh, to do it, or if you're maybe even closer to the college experience, you may need to look more at loan possibilities or grant possibilities or scholarship possibilities. All of those can work as well. They're just different from, uh, from saving for it privately or on your own. 
So very, very important to keep that kind of thing in mind. It's it's not easy. I'll tell you just, uh, again, just uh, anecdotally here on the side, it's one of the more challenging things, especially with families that have multiple children for which they want to save. It, it's hard. The numbers are big. I mean, I had the, had this conversation here a little bit earlier this week as well, uh, where parents had attended a uh, private college in uh, in New York, and they desired for their two children, they desire for their two children to attend that college, uh, that same uh, private college in New York, and they wanted to do planning relative to the future projected expense of that private college uh, whenever their child was uh, their first child was ready to go to college. I mean, the numbers are huge. I mean, you're talking about a half a million dollars that uh, that just based upon current um, inflation rates. And when I say inflation rates, I mean college cost inflation rates, a half a million dollars each. So you're talking about two children, you're talking about a million dollars, you're talking about a huge number. Now, is that what it's going to be at that time? Is that the only way uh, that uh, that you can uh, go to that college? No, of course not. But they desired to cover all of the expenses going to that same college and uh, and wanted to make that a possibility for uh, for both children in this instance. So big, big numbers. And so it, it, again, it's, and it's not for me to say whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's just to know that those are big numbers. And if you're wanting to save for that kind of thing, important that you save correctly and important that you are aware as much as you can be about what goes on. The FAVSA form, you're talking about the free application for federal student aid to make sure that you note things appropriately and that you qualify for as much as you can when you're looking at those kinds of things. So very, very important to uh, to do that. And uh, But don't be overwhelmed. That's what I tell folks all the time. Don't be overwhelmed by, by the cost. There are a lot of different ways to come at it, a lot of different programs that are out there. There may be scholarships for which you don't even know that you qualify. We strongly encourage folks, use the student aid office, use other uh, organizational kinds of things. There are constantly folks who are giving away money for the college experience. Well, friends, I appreciate so much you hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. We're wrapping up here, going to the fourth quarter. Stay with us. More of Dollars and Cents with certified financial planner Joshua Doby is coming up on 105.9 WSIC. Call now to speak with certified financial planner Joshua Doby at 844-STUDIO-4. It's dollars and cents on 105.9, 100.7, WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us in the fourth quarter football reference. Thank you for staying with us here. We're all, you're almost at the end. Again, if you're a nine to fiver, you got 11 minutes and 53 seconds left. You're almost there. Promise you, it's close. You just you just listen to the sound of my voice and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to the finish line or within about 10 seconds of it actually, but pretty close uh, here to the end. But I appreciate so much you spending the time with us here on Dollars and Cents as we're talking about all things economic and financial. If you'd like to give us a call in the studio, perhaps you'd like to, to talk about something in particular uh, relative to what you've seen on the headlines, can't talk to your specific financial situation for the obvious reasons, can't make recommendations over the air, my compliance folks will get really excited and not in a good way if I start doing that. But happy to hear about what's on your mind, those kinds of topics you may be seeing on your headlines. 844-STUDIO-4, that's 844-788-3464, 844-788-3464 here in the studio. Happy to hear from you, happy to make sure that uh, that the topic that you have in mind, we make sure that we talk about here. All right, fourth quarter, you know we're talking usually uh, here about the markets. And I know you hang around for this and you want to hear what uh, what we're seeing in the markets, the kinds of things that uh, not only about where we are, but where we're going. And, uh, and, and it's it's been a very interesting start to the year. And, and I don't want to say unexpected or expected. I think that would be a little disingenuous. Uh, I tend to look at the things in a, in a very conservative fashion with in terms of expectations. But, uh, but I would say it's been you know, pretty much up and down. 
here for the first couple of weeks of the year. We've only had a couple of weeks at this point, so not a whole lot of data points to be able to line up and, and to feel confident about saying where the year is going. But uh, but certainly interesting to see. And uh, and it, it was it was interesting, uh, especially to see that uh, that we came out a little bit weak on things that had done well last year, specifically big technology companies. And boy, we did a pivot and came right around and uh, and, and saw a, a lot of strong performance from uh, from some of those big technology companies here over the last several days, to the extent that those are our leaders here, here over the first couple of weeks. So when we're looking at that kind of thing, when we're looking at you know, performance-wise, where things are right now, the folks say, "Well, it's you know, feels like last year." Well, yeah, it's a little early. You know, we're, we're barely through the mid part of January at uh, at this point, so I don't want to say where things are going to are going to uh, end up. I mean, there there are some very good positive indicators. For example, I was looking at some retail sales figures, which are starting now to come out from the uh, the Christmas shopping season, the Christmas retail season. Uh, folks, I got to raise my hand quickly and say that I did not expect to see the strength of consumer spending that we saw here, excuse me, <coughs> that we saw here at the end of last year for the Christmas retail season. And so when I'm looking at that, that's an indication of, of some significant strength from the consumer. 5.6% is what I saw, meaning year-over-year -year increase in terms of retail spending, Christmas spending, 5.6% uh, uh, increase year-over-year. That's significant, folks. I mean, it doesn't sound like a huge number, but when you look at that on a relative basis, I mean, we're, we're talking about a very significant move in uh, in one year. And so when I'm looking at that and I'm trying to understand where the consumer is, and frankly, at some level, I'm wondering how the consumer is continuing to spend at this level because we've got some headwinds too. So that's on the positive side. Headwinds-wise, I mean, rents continue to be very, very strong. And, uh, and it's you know, still very uh, significantly more expensive to go to the grocery store, significantly more expensive to go into uh, a restaurant, you know, and those kinds of things. So when we're looking at, at, at those kinds of experiences, travel more expensive, golly, have you bought a plane ticket recently? I mean, it, it's expensive and you don't have to be going to some fancy destination. I mean, I travel a lot up and down the East Coast to some not very glamorous locations, and boy, is it expensive. It really is. So, so you know, those kinds of things, when I'm looking at that, looking at how the consumer is spending, I'm putting, trying to put that together, like, how are they doing it? And it may be that we start to see a little bit of a slowdown this year, meaning in terms of the intensity of growth of the consumer spending. And, and that's big because you hear me say ad nauseum here on dollars and cents, the consumer is between two thirds and three quarters of our economy, meaning how the consumer spends, generally speaking, is how our economy moves. So I'm very sensitive to it. I watch it very closely and I want to make sure that, that we understand in the best ways that we can about where the consumer is in terms of that spend. But coming back to the markets then, so looking at it again, how we ended the year on a very strong note, unexpectedly, at least I'll raise my hand and say for me, unexpectedly in terms of how strong. November and December were uh, from a market performance standpoint. And, and I would say, by and large, from my look at things, by and large, the reason for that was there was some significant expectation. I would, I'll even call it assumptions being made by the market about when the Federal Reserve is going to start uh, decreasing rates or cutting uh, the overnight lending rate. And I say that to say that because you know and there were some indications, so that so they overstepped a little bit, right? So we so we had the Federal Reserve come out, you know, after the uh, the last meeting of the year, and there were a couple of Federal Reserve uh, governors who sit on the board who probably indicated played their hand a little bit in talking about the number of rate cuts that were going to be happening in this year, 2024. That was that was presumptuous. I mean, it wasn't wasn't a wasn't a wise move in my opinion. It got the market a little bit ahead of itself, frankly, in a positive way because the market wants those rates to go down, cost of capital goes down. 
down, it's better for, you know, from, from the bottom line or the balance sheet for, uh, for many, many companies. So the market tends to like that overall. So when that, that kind of announcement was made, you saw a lot of backpedaling. You saw a lot of, well, we're not sure yet, which is the right thing to say. We don't know yet. We're still getting into the first half of the first month of the year, and we don't know yet where things are going to land. But when we're looking at that and trying to understand what the Federal Reserve is going to be doing, uh, I think we still have some ways to go. I mean, there, there are a number of indicators that they watch. Unemployment still incredibly low right now. I mean, sub 4% or under 4% uh, as measured by our most popular uh, measures uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistic, Statistics. I mean, it's, it's too early to tell. Uh, if uh, if companies are going to make any significant moves. Now, there was an announcement by uh, Google. Uh, parent is Alphabet now. Uh, there was an announcement by them that they're going to be pairing back some of their workforce, a notable, uh, a notable amount in terms of numbers, not a notable amount in terms of percentages. So that that's, a, that's important. That's one company, right? It's not an indication of the economy overall, but Alphabet is a lot, very large company and certainly uh, employs a lot of people. So it does have an impact but probably not measurable beyond the folks who are at Alphabet or Google at this point. So when we're looking at that and then I'm trying to understand what that means then for the Federal Reserve as we go through the balance of the year, we would have to see a notable number of additional data points before I believe, and this is my opinion now, before I believe that the Federal Reserve is going to start cutting rates. That means from where I sit, we are at least in the third quarter of this year, perhaps fourth quarter. Perhaps not this year at all. And I know all the folks on the equi- on the buy side on the in the equity markets get real excited whenever I say those kinds of things. First of all, it's my opinion, right? So I'm looking at I'm looking at the proverbial tea leaves, just like everybody else is. There's no way to know in advance of uh, of that kind of thing with any kind of certainty. But when I'm looking at it and I'm trying to understand about just historically speaking, a we first got to figure out what all of these uh, rate increases are going to mean. That takes easily six to nine months beyond the last rate increase. And then after that happens, do we need to cut rates? Is it appropriate for us to cut rates? I know the equity market's like that. I understand why. Okay? Again, lower cost of capital. It's more advantageous for uh, for folks to borrow, uh, meaning because of a, lo- a lower capital cost to borrow those funds. I mean, that's basically what we experienced there over the last 15 years. And if you say, well, I didn't experience it. If you have a mortgage, you definitely experienced it. If you had a car loan, you definitely experienced it. If you have any other lines of credit, credit cards, the whole nine yards, you definitely experienced it because those rates were, I'll call it, unnaturally low for uh, for a very extended period of time, meaning relative to the normal cycles of those kinds of things. So when we're looking at it and trying to understand then what that means for 2024, we're cautious. I continue to be cautious. And you're going to say, well, you're always cautious. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I think that's my business, right? I got to be cautious. Never get too high on the high or too low on the lows. I think that's a very big deal whenever we're looking at these kinds of things. But it's also important as we're looking at 2024 to understand from a technical standpoint how the market moves. And, uh, and I say that not to, again, not to make any unnatural predictions about where things are going to go, but we're coming out of a, out of a very robust 2023, at least insofar as measured by the most popular stock indexes. So looking back over the last 90 years of market history or so, it is very unusual, not impossible and not unprecedented, but very unusual that the market would follow that up with a similar style year of performance. That's what's very important to keep in mind. There's even a theory out there. You may have heard it called the dogs of the Dow theory. A dog, like literally the dog 
uh, the uh, the pet, but it's uh, really meant to be more of an indication about underperformance. And the dogs of the Dow theory essentially says this: uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, thirty stocks that are uh, make up that average, all price weighted, meaning those that have higher stock prices are going to have a higher influence over the average itself. But uh, the dogs of the Dow theory essentially says take the bottom three, five, eight stocks from the previous year, buy those; those have the quote best possibility for uh, for success in the following year. Now, there's sometimes where that works, other times where it doesn't work, so it's certainly not a scientific end of things, but the idea behind it is on a technical basis that generally speaking, sometimes those things which weren't in favor last year have a higher probability generally sometimes uh, have a higher probability of doing well the following year. Uh, and certainly if you hold on to them for a couple of years. It's also a blend of the idea of buy low. And that meaning buy low, meaning buy at a lower price. So if you have something that's a very good company that didn't do as well the previous year, it may be a time to consider looking at it for some folks. Not for everybody. Everybody's situation is unique and different. But if it did, if it underperformed, that may be a reason to take a look at it. On the other hand, and we have this conversation all the time, up to and including right before I hopped on the air here, that if you have something that has performed way above average or way above expectation, it is not unusual for that to come back to earth for a little while. It just has to, right? Nothing goes straight up forever. By the way, nothing goes straight down forever but we act like it all the time. It is an amazing phenomenon, 28 years of doing this business, and the same thing happens every single time in terms of group think. It's a very interesting phenomenon. It's, we think in straight lines. We really do. When it comes to the markets, we think in straight lines. If certain things are going up, we want to buy into it. We, the buying public, wants to buy into it because we believe it's going to continue to go straight up. And when things are going down, we, we the buying public, can, uh, believe that it's going to go straight down until it hits zero. It's amazing. And it's the, the amazing part is the, uh, the, the repetition of the phenomenon. It really is something. But anyhow, so don't get caught up in that. Make sure that you're buying or selling for the right reasons. All right, folks, we're rapidly approaching the end of this week's version of Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. Let's do a lightning fast recap talking about where, I mean, the important stuff first. We were talking fried chicken wings at, uh, at Dave & Buster's. All you can eat back on Mondays and Tuesdays. What does that have to do with finances? It does. Dave & Buster's publicly traded company. One of the best ticker symbols out there, P-L-A-Y. Very cool when you're looking at those kinds of things. But, but also, more seriously, commercial real estate, we're watching that. Vacancies going up, delinquencies going up, lots of loans that are going to need to be refinanced. We're going to see what that's going to mean for the overall commercial market. And then we're looking at the markets for 2024. Be cautious, be savvy, make decisions for the right reasons. Thank you so much, folks. We're hanging with us on Dollars and Cents here on WSIC. The new 105.9, 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, W290DK, Mooresville, Lake Norman, North Charlotte.